AC Milan. Chelsea. Juventus. Borussia Dortmund. Never before have we seen a U.S. team with so many players at so many of the biggest clubs in the world. That many of them have done so well before reaching their prime has only added more excitement to this U.S. team. Sam, as you and I have covered this team over the last few years, however, the same question keeps emerging. Exactly how good are they? This episode is all about this young collection of U.S. soccer stars and whether they are, indeed, America's golden generation. I think it's a disrespect to, to say that they're the best team when they're all 23 and younger. You put our 2010-2014 team, I think we, we stack up very well. We'll do well for ourselves. This is episode four of From Cuba to Qatar, remaking the U.S. men's national team. The idea of a golden generation is that it's a uniquely talented group of players in a small age range that can play together over the course of multiple major tournaments. The term was first coined by Portuguese media in the wake of the exploits of a tremendously talented youth team that would eventually go on to lose to the U.S. in the 2002 World Cup. That group, led by Luis Figo and Rui Costa, won FIFA Youth World Cups in both 1989 and 1991. The term was popularized even further in the 2000s around an England team that featured David Beckham, Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, and Wayne Rooney. That team famously failed to win on the sport's biggest stages. Golden generation is a loaded term. The teams that fell short of that moniker are as well known, maybe more so, than the golden generations that actually lifted trophies. Those England teams of the 2000s, Figo's Portugal squad, and the Belgium team that will step onto the field in Qatar are among those better-known generations who haven't quite gotten to the mountaintop in recent history. The England team of the 2000s wilted under the immense pressure of the Golden Generation tag. Micah Richards played at the very tail end of that era of England teams and saw the impact not just of that Golden Generation designation, but of heavy expectations on the shoulders of the many stars in that group. I spoke with him at a CBS sports event in Brooklyn in late October. No, it was too much for them. You could see it. The pressure was not just on the players, but also on the decisions that went into the lineup. England tried to force their stars onto the field together, even at the cost of what might have been best for the overall group. I think with the old generation, there was too many superstars. You know, you had Beckham, Lampard, Gerrard, Rio, Terry, Michael Owen. And sometimes the best in a team is if you only have one star and you're playing for the team. I think we had too many good players who were playing for themselves. And ultimately, it showed on the pitch as well. Of course, other countries with golden generations have lived up to the name. Xavi and Iniesta Spain team won three straight competitions from 2008 to 2012. Zinedine Zidane's France won the 98 World Cup and the 2000 Euros. Obviously, we all went and played abroad, and we came back with the mix of what we learned in France and the mentality of, uh, of the guys abroad. And we mixed it a bit with a good coach, and we ended up winning the World Cup in 98. For Thierry Henry, who was a part of that France team, it was less about the pressure the team faced and more about what message they could send their country by winning. People always like to talk about golden generation and, and stuff like that. It's not always about winning. It's about what you transmit and what you transcend. And if you can win along the way, it's always good. But when you can make people hope that they can finally achieve something, you can win. Obviously, they won, I won, but it's what you did create and make people hope. So it's not always easy to have great players and being able to perform. But we managed to do that. Um, luck, with luck sometimes, sometimes we're playing well. 
what is the message and what you transmit to the call that that for me is the real victory. This U.S. team has an unprecedented pedigree. The age and clubs at which they have emerged is completely new in American men's soccer history. That's fact. But it's also true that this group has yet to prove much of anything on the international level. That makes it difficult to determine whether or not this is a golden generation. U.S. head coach Greg Berhalter, who was charged with rebuilding the national team after the failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup, and has largely constructed this group around young players, isn't shying away from the label. And I think we're at a point where we have a really highly talented collection of players and a really small bandwidth, right? Really small age group. But I also think that it is a sea change for us that we're going to keep producing players. You know, we're going to, like, we've, we're doing things differently now. And if you work with a different process, you're going to get different outcomes. And I think, I believe we are going to continue to develop good players. The players themselves are split. Here's DeAndre Yedlin, who at 29 is the old man of the group, talking about how the age and the potential of this team makes it special. Yeah, I personally do. These guys, you know, after I'm long and gone, you know, will still be together. Like, still be together playing in their primes. Like, that's a really scary thought to think about. As of right now, yeah, I think this is this is the golden generation and it's, and it's looking really bright for the future. Gio Reyna, still only 19, but already perhaps the U.S.'s most talented player, agreed. Yeah, I think so. I think we have a really good good generation coming through. I even hope that the next two or three years younger than me can kind of keep on coming and, you know, a few of those pieces can find a way to help. Not everyone feels so ready to bestow that title on this team, however. We spoke with three prominent players, Tyler Adams, Walker Zimmerman, and Weston McKenney, pushing back against the notion. I don't really believe in golden generations, uh, just in general. Yeah, I'm not buying too much into it. Like, in terms of golden generation, I think this is just the expectation we should have moving forward of we're going to have a lot of talented Americans playing in high leagues and, and being successful. You know, it's coming because we're young. I mean, you guys have said golden generation about us, and I'm sure when uh, Landon Donovan and their group was coming through, you guys said the same thing. I think it, it's not really a, a term that is important that people say. I think it's just how we perform on the field, if we get results or not. McKenney's quote gets into an important idea. Why is the Golden Generation label even important? Well, for one thing, it frames the way teams are talked about. The way we think about whether or not this U.S. team will be successful in Qatar is framed by whether or not you think they're a Golden Generation. Getting out of the group and getting to a knockout round doesn't feel like enough for a team that's supposed to be different than any that came before it. It resets the expectations around a super young group. And when you're around this team, there are people within U.S. soccer that want to stay away from the label for that very reason. Four-time U.S. World Cup veteran DeMarcus Beasley isn't afraid of the label. He's one that thinks that the core of the 2022 squad, Pulisic, McKenney, Serginho Dest, Reyna, Eunice Musa, Tim Weah, and Brendan Aronson, all of whom could be huge contributors for the U.S. team that will play the 2026 World Cup at home, has the potential to be a golden generation. Without saying yes or no, I think it can be. I think it can be. And I say that because I'm, I'm sure people have said it as well, but because of the talent and the youthfulness of the, the national team, and then obviously, you know, leading up to 2026, it's in America, just everything is in line to be that golden generation. Beasley would know at least a little bit about it. 
He wasn't part of a golden generation of U.S. soccer, but he was a member of a group that was bestowed with a level of pressure by his own federation. Beasley was part of the 1999 U.S. Under-17 national team that helped launch the Bradenton Residency Academy, where the top young players from around the country lived, went to school, and trained together. That U-17 team, which featured future U.S. World Cup veterans Beasley, Landon Donovan, Bobby Convey, Aguchi Onyewu, and Kyle Beckerman would reach the semifinals of the U-17 World Cup. That led to a not insignificant amount of hype around the group. I remember when we started that U-17, the program back in Bradenton, and USA was supposed to win the World Cup in 2010. That was our World Cup because we were going to be of age, you know, how well we did in U-17. So I still remember that. You know, I was a, we were 16-year-old kids. U.S. soccer called it Project 2010. The idea was that the first class of players in Bradenton would lead the U.S. to a World Cup title by, you guessed it, 2010. It was American exceptionalism distilled, a blend of arrogance, dreaming, and goal setting. Things are a bit different this time around. Project 2010 was built around a group of teenagers that, while they did well at a youth World Cup, by and large were not yet even professionals. Putting the expectation of a world title on them was premature and fanciful. The U.S. made it a run to the quarters in 2002, with Beasley and Donovan debuting on the senior stage, failed to get out of the group stage in 2006, and were eliminated in the round of 16 in 2010. At no point prior to that tournament in South Africa did they ever appear like a major contender to win a World Cup. The current team is much more established. Some of them are still teens, sure, but all are playing professionally. Several have already won domestic league titles. Many have Champions League experience, and Pulisic has even won that club competition with Chelsea. Putting hopes on them feels a lot more reasonable than stacking big expectations on a group of amateur 17-year-olds like Beasley and Donovan were back in the late 90s. Beasley talked about how the pressure around Project 2010 infiltrated that group. He imagines something similar might happen for the current U.S. team. Yeah, you hear it, you, 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 know, you talk about it. So yeah, that part, it will obviously infiltrate in the players' minds. You know, you talk about the golden generation and will that, you know, kind of be talked about in the camp and the play. Yeah, 100%. You know, they'll know it. They'll, I'm sure they'll talk about themselves. Sam, we've heard from a lot of folks around the team about whether or not the U.S. is in the midst of a golden generation. We haven't given our opinions yet. We'll share some of our perspective after this word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We know that these American players are playing at clubs that very, very few American players have ever been at. Many of them are doing so at a very young age. But does that make them a golden generation? Sam, how do you think about that? We talk about this team as special in large part because of where they play. But let's actually talk about the roles at these big clubs that they're contracted to. Serginho Dest is at AC Milan. He recently moved there on loan from Barcelona, who no longer wanted him. 
They didn't see him as part of their plans. They were going through some financial difficulties. But this is his third team in four seasons as a pro. Christian Pulisic is at Chelsea. He's achieved some great things there. But he's a role player. He's not a regular starter. That's been the case now with three different managers. Weston McKennie is at Juventus. But this is not one of the stronger Juventus teams that we've seen over really the last two decades. They finished fourth in Italy in back-to-back seasons. They usually win Serie A. They won it nearly a decade running. They're not doing that anymore. Matt Turner, he's at Arsenal, but he's the backup goalkeeper. Gio Reyna is a world-class young talent at Dortmund, but injuries have limited his young career. It's been stop-start, and he hasn't been able to be a consistent part of the 11 there. So they're at big clubs, sure, but just being at big clubs doesn't necessarily mean that they're better than past generations of U.S. teams. And that, Paul, is kind of the starting point for me. If this is going to be a golden generation, well, first of all, they need to be better than what we've seen already. Well, Sam, it must have been pretty validating for you to hear Clint Dempsey talk about some of that when he was asked about this team during that CBS event in New York recently. I see what you're saying in terms of being in Champions League, more players, but if you're not main players for the teams that you're on, you're, you're, you're just coming off 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Is it better, per se, to be like a Tyler Adams or an Aronson, who have played Champions League, but now where they're at, they're at Leeds. They're playing consistently week in and week out. I would argue that that is Trump's just being in the Champions League and, and just featuring in games. That quote is a bit validating, Paul. I always think it's good to be in agreement with a guy like Clint Dempsey, and it makes sense why he would think that. The teams that he played on for the U.S. at the 2006, 2010, and 2014 World Cups had many more guys in the mold of Adams and Aronson, players who were playing at clubs that maybe weren't at the top of their respective leagues, but who were all asked to play big roles at those clubs. want them to be breaking barriers. We want them to be have players that are playing at the big clubs that are, if you're an attacking player, you're in the starting 11 every game or, or, or a defensive player. And if you're an attacking player, you're leading the team or they're close to it being the top two or three guys in goals and assists. We're rooting for, the, for those guys to do that. But let's not forget there's been other guys like Demarcus Beasley's played in a quarterfinal or a semifinal of a Champions League. There's been plenty of other guys who, who, who've been playing Champions League and people want to forget, I think, about the history in, in the past. And sometimes they think, wow, there's people over in Europe. There's been people over in Europe. Yes, maybe some of these players haven't been on the best teams, but there's been some history there, you know, at Fulham, getting to Europa League final, almost winning. There's still people playing at big clubs. I just think that people kind of forgot about that. But at the same time, don't get me wrong, we're rooting for these guys. We want them to do well, and we're hope they're able to accomplish something that we couldn't. Well, I think really what we're talking about with this team is that their potential, their ceiling is higher than any U.S. team that has come before. And that's what's intriguing about them. But I think it is fair to point out that just because these players are at big clubs doesn't mean that they're so much more talented than players that have come in the past. I think it's worth arguing about whether a player like Tab Ramos would have been at a big club had he had the opportunities that this generation does. The landscape has changed so, so dramatically around American soccer players, as we discussed in episode two. And that certainly has played a role and has an influence on the club situations of many of these players. But I think when we talk about this team, we need to recognize that, you know, there is excitement around where they could go. The fact that there are so many players at big clubs is new for the American soccer fan. We've never seen this before. And because we've never seen it before, that leads to a belief that we're going to see something else we've never seen before, which is a U.S. team that actually challenges for a World Cup. And I think that's where this idea of golden generation comes from, is that, hey, this is a different team than we've ever seen. This is a more special team than we've ever seen. 
And so what do you call a more special group in soccer? You call it the golden generation. And it comes back to that idea. Now, whether or not this team can actually live up to that expectation, that's still to be determined. Is this team better than past U.S. teams? I think in some positions, yes, clearly. Winger, you have Christian Pulisic, you have Gio Reyna. Those guys are excellent. I think they would start for most U.S. teams in the past. I think they're better than the best for the most part. Landon Donovan, of course, would be in there. Clint Dempsey, not really a winger, but he's an attacker, would be in the mix as well. Striker, mm, this U.S. team ain't so great. This generation doesn't have one of those at the level that past U.S. teams have had. I think in defense, it's kind of a similar picture. It's not overwhelmingly better than what we've seen before. I think in goal, it's worse than what the U.S. has had before. When you look at Tim Howard or Casey Keller or Brad Friedel. In midfield, the midfielders, I think, are really promising. But I think when you take a peek at the top three, all all of them have holes in their game as well. They're still developing. That is, I think, what you were sort of getting at is the question between what they are today and what they might be in the future. Yeah, and I think that's sort of where Dempsey, who's certainly a bit biased here, landed as well. I think it's a disrespect to, to say that they're the best team when they're all 23 and younger. You know what I mean? Yes, they have a lot of talent. Yes, could be one of the most skillful teams. But you put our 2010-2014 team, I think we, we stack up very well. We'll do well for ourselves. So not to take anything away from them. Sure. And, and you're, you're only going to be graded on what you do in the World Cup. And that will be the true test. And, 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 and we'll tell what that situation will be. But I think that's a little disrespectful, I think, for people to, to feel that way. And that's where all of this gets muddled and complicated for me. <laughs> because, yeah, when you look at this team, I think the ceiling for it is much higher than the ceiling for previous American teams. But we have no idea whether or not they'll actually hit that ceiling. So is it a golden generation? I don't really know. I'm inclined to say no for the reasons that I just laid out. But I'm also inclined to say no, Paul, because I think there's better things to come. You talked about the structural element. Tyler Adams talked about that in an interview that we did with him as well. Greg Berhalter has talked about it too. But there should be more better players in the pipeline. It's flowing freer than it ever has before. It shouldn't stop. And if we recorded the same show in 20 years at the 2042 World Cup before that tournament, if we're thinking back at the 2022 team as the golden generation, well, then something has gone horribly wrong in American soccer. Well, I think that could be true for sure. But I think the idea of comparing this 2022 team to teams that came before it is a flawed way to think about a golden generation. We know that this team, as it exists right now today, probably isn't as good as, say, the 2002 team, partly because that team was full of veteran players. Landon Donovan and Demarcus Beasley were the young players who added a spark to a very veteran group. It's important that we frame the bigger picture discussion about this team to include not just what happens in Qatar in November, but also what will happen or could happen in 2026 and four years from now when many of these young players are entering into their prime. And when you think about that and the potential for how this team progresses and the younger players who could be coming in behind them, I think that's where the conversation about golden generation really starts to reframe itself. I spoke to Arnie Friedrich, who was a part of the 2010 Germany team that finished third at the World Cup. And he spoke about how that team really was about building something for the group going forward. Of course, a big part of that group would go ahead to win the World Cup in 2014. And he thought that the experiences gained by some of the younger players in that team 
some of the players who had to step up into bigger leadership roles because of Michael Bollock's injury really influenced how successful they were going forward. And that's what happens with these special generations. They build upon themselves. And I think that has to be the hope and the expectation around the team in 2022 and in the next few years, that this is the beginning of a golden generation, that what we saw over the last few months in World Cup qualifiers builds into the tournament in Qatar and builds into something in 2026. And Greg Berhalter talked a little bit about that with us. As you move into 2026, you know, if you can, if our players continue to progress at the rate that they have been, you know, we're going to be dealing with some really, a really talented player pool with experience and having the home field advantage. And we know the home field in um, the World Cup is important. You know, I think it's a great opportunity for us, you know, without, without getting ahead of ourselves. I think, you know, everything that's, that's been done has been laying this foundation and this World Cup will, will help do that as well. So I guess where I fall is a little bit where Greg Berhalter is here. I think that right now, the hype around this team might be a little bit too much for the reality of this team. But I think that we're at about the right place when it comes to getting excited about the potential for this team and how it lines up with the 2026 World Cup coming back to the United States for the first time since 1994. I agree with that. And it's a weird thing to say going into a tournament because the team is so focused on results in Qatar, as they should be. And we'll be focused on that and there will be so much attention around all of that. But I land in a place that's similar to Burhalter. It's this team, they're going to want to go as far as they can for 2022. But whether or not we think of them as a golden generation, in large part, is going to be decided by 2026. When these players who are young and still finding themselves are more in their primes and presumably will have gotten to their level. So we'll see. Sam, for me, it comes back to that idea that Thierry Henry talked about. Hope. And maybe a little bit of the idea of pressure, because when we talk about the golden generations from the past, from countries like England and Portugal and France, Spain and Belgium, you know, the idea for them is that they can win a tournament, that they can win the World Cup. And that's never been something that's been realistically discussed about any U.S. team. So when I think about this team, I think about hope that there's no doubt that this team has the highest level of belief around them of probably any other in U.S. soccer history. I mean, not even that 2006 team that went into the World Cup ranked fourth in the world truly captured the imagination like this young team. Paul, I think this is an important discussion to have because the discussion about whether or not a certain team is a golden generation centers around what might be. And to me, that's the story of American soccer too. What might be the sport of the future, right? If the if this country ever embraces the game, in terms of fan interest, in terms of number of people playing, in terms of resources. What could this turn into? The US is thought of as a sleeping giant in this sport. And maybe this generation of players is the one that wakes the country up. We'll see in 2022, and we'll also see in 2026. On the next episode of From Cuba to Qatar. Get out of the group, 100%. You know, I've heard people talk about, oh, you know, this is a uh, like a dry run for 2026. No, they need to perform. We'll look at how the potential of this team will impact its actual on-field results and ask, what should expectations be around the U.S. men's national team at this month's World Cup? 
The producer of From Cuba to Qatar, remaking the U.S. men's national team, is Michael Zimmerman. The executive producers are John Hayes and Mike Smeltz. The creators of the series are Paul Tenorio and Sam Stasekul. Special thanks to Chris Cramrani. For behind-the-scenes bonus episodes, become a subscriber of The Athletic or become a member of The Athletic's Audio Plus subscription service on Apple Podcasts. And for much more about the U.S. men's national team and the rest of the teams at the World Cup this year, keep it right here on The Athletic Soccer Show.